Very excited today. If you were with us last week, you know, I, a lot of times I do series. And so I either do topical series, I'll walk through a, a book of the Bible, but I do it kind of in a series mode. Uh, so we stay in a lane for a little while. So if you miss one, you can catch up and it makes sense. But the last couple of weeks, we are just walking through kind of standalone uh, messages. But the reason we're doing this is we're tackling things that aren't necessarily part of a series, but they're just simple principles or values that are incredibly important. If we are going to be an actual church, and, and do what God's called us to do on the earth, we need to know what that means and what that looks like. And we gotta have some values that say, this is the way we were designed to do this thing. So last week we walked into this tension and, and uh, we just talked about the, the church, the people who call themselves followers of Jesus, the, the people who are the body of Christ. One of the things we're known by, one of our values is we love like Jesus. And we talked about this tension. I was in John chapter 13. You can go back and listen to it if you missed. But we talked about this tension where Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, the thing about a new command is it means that it's new. It's not an old command. He says, a new command I give you. That means that prior to this moment, this had not been a command. And then he goes on and says, love one another. And that's confusing because all throughout the scriptures, it tells us to love one another. So there's got to be more. And then he says, love one another as I have loved you. And that was the qualifier, that from that moment on in history, we now had a picture of what it meant to love somebody the way that God demonstrates loving someone if he actually were inhabiting a human body. And that changes everything. So the picture of how Jesus loves sets a model for how we love. All of a sudden, it calibrates us. It, it helps us when we get a little too emotional. It helps us when we can't figure out what is the way to demonstrate love. Our model of love, come on now, is how Jesus demonstrated love. And so if you want to see all the pieces to that, you can go back, listen to it online, and I got that for you. So this week, we're going to walk into this next just value statement of what a body of Christ does, what a group of believers do, what a church does. Now, I renamed this message about five, six, seven times this week. And uh, it's because I couldn't figure out the wording. I was just struggling with the wording. And I finally brought some bigger brains and uh, better brains in. It helped me figure out this wording. And we sat down and we figured it out. And here's what a body of Christ does. We live united. We live connected. We live in relationship with one another. We're supposed to be connected. Here's the thing. Disconnected body parts are gross. Disconnected body parts are gross. We're supposed to be connected. Connected just means working together for a common purpose. But you know what disconnected means? Disconnected is a description. It's an adjective. And it means disjointed or broken or not coherent, seemingly irrational. When things are disconnected, it doesn't look rational. Can I just tell you something? When people look at the church and it's disconnected, they go, that's not rational. You say you're this, but you do or don't do this. And it looks irrational. And when things are supposed to be connected, but they're actually disconnected, people go, that doesn't make any sense. You want to get into a fight with someone? Tell them they're irrational. Husbands, don't go there, right? It will not work. It will not work well for you. In that note, the year is 2008. My beautiful bride and I are celebrating 10 years of being married. 
and we go on a cruise, which is amazing. And on our cruise, you stop at ports and you do these things called excursions and you go on little adventures. So we're in, I think, were we in Cabo, Cabo San Lucas? Yeah. All right, we're in Cabo San Lucas. She knows where this is going. I got to stand over here for a while. So we're in Cabo San Lucas. We've been married 10 years. We're connected. We're one, right? So I know something about my wife. I know she loves the beach. She loves sitting on the beach. She loves putting her toes up right next to the water. She is not a fan of whatever's living in the ocean. I don't know if her parents let her watch Jaws when she was too young. I'm not sure. We haven't had, like, been in therapy for that issue. Other issues, yes, not that one. But that dark water, even the crystal clear water, once we get out in the depths, not her favorite. So being the romantic that I am, I book an excursion, and we're going to take a kayak out into the ocean and go around this bend and get to this romantic beach that you can only reach by boat. And us and like 300 people are going. It's going to be romantic. <laughs> so we get into this kayak. And she's in the front. And I'm in the back. And we whoosh out into the ocean. And I'm in the back. And I'm like, because I don't want to be last, right? Because there's a bunch of people going to this spot. And I've got to get a good spot. So I'm like, whoosh, And I can't see her face. So I don't know if there's terror, joy. I don't know what's happening. I just know she's not helping me row very much. So, so I'm feeling the pressure of that, right? It's 10 years ago. I'm a little bit better shape, but I'm starting to wear out. And we come around this corner, and all of a sudden I hear this slapping sound on the water, this slap, 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 And we come around the corner, and we see, which I didn't know the name of this first service, but now I know, we see a fever of stingrays. Yes, and they are jumping stingrays. They are literally jumping out of the water. Yes, this is what's happening in front of our boat, right? So I have a reaction. Don't be last. I'm going to muscle through this. What do I care? I got an oar. I'll just slap this thing off, right? I don't realize in the front, terror is happening. And suddenly, suddenly this oar, her oar is not only not helping me, it's down in the water dragging, right? And I'm rowing and we're going in circles, right? I'm trying to get us forward and she's taking us back the other direction and she's screaming and I'm like, what? It's romantic. We need to go to the spot. And she's like, no, no. And pretty soon, not only is she rowing the oar in the water, she's literally rowing the other direction. I'm like, I knew you could row. And she's like, she's rowing the wrong way. And there's what happened. We're disconnected. We're supposed to be going in one direction and have one vision. But she's in the front and she's got one vision. I'm in the back. I got another vision. And we have division. And when there's division, come on now. You can't go where you're supposed to go. It's not coherent. It's broken. It's seemingly irrational. And here's the thing. We've all been connected in teams where we had too much division. I mean, you experienced it in school, right? You knew the moment that you got put in a group and you looked at the group and you're like, dang it. I got that person in my group and I know that they're not going to either do their part or be connected or whatever it is. And you're just immediately, you're tense, you're frustrated because you know this is disjointed. You know it's broken. You know it's not going to work. You've been in that situation in the workplace and you've had a coworker and there's been an assignment. And there's been a thing you're supposed to accomplish 
and you've been like, it's not going to work because we're not connected. You've seen that in your home where there's two visions and you're not connected and there's been tension and it's been frustrating. You can't resolve it. And you're wondering, why don't we have the same vision? Why aren't we connected? Why aren't we going the same direction? I've sat down with parents and they have wildly different approaches to what they think they should do with their children. And they haven't ever got on the same vision. And they're supposed to be connected and a body. And they're working against each other. They're rowing different directions. They're, they're disconnected. And then we get to the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. And we look around. And we're supposed to be connected. And we're supposed to be working together. And we look around and there's so many pieces, so many parts. Some are working forward. Some are working back. Some are not working at all. And they're just disconnected. We go, okay, so why throughout all of history does God push so hard on this idea that we are supposed to be a body, that we are supposed to be connected? When Jesus, well, let me back up. Let me back all the way up. How about this? When God first started the whole thing, Genesis 1. Everybody likes a good uh, backstory, right? You like a superhero backstory, right? We love watching a movie. There's a good backstory. How did Captain America get strong? And how did he, what did he go through? How to become Captain America? You know, if Clark Kent got, got uh, you know, good, good parents and, and all the superpowers in the world, would you, would you have good more? Like, what's the backstory? So here's our backstory. Here's the backstory of the human race. According to the scripture, according to God, the backstory of our entire planet, God said, let there be light. Boom. He speaks into creation. And then he says, let there be a division between the land and the sea. And then he speaks again. He says, let there be plant life and animal life. And he speaks into creation all of existence. Now, this is powerful. Some of you might just need to only take this away because we're created in the image of God. And when God wants to create things, he speaks. And you think your words aren't powerful? You think it's not a big deal that you just use the language that you used or cut someone down the way you cut them down? And you don't think it is powerful what you say? doesn't matter. You're in the image of God and he creates things by speaking. Powerful. Crazy truth. For five days, he talks and things that weren't are and things that now are form into the image that he designed them to. But on the sixth day, our backstory, something else happens. I want you to catch this. This is amazing. For five days, he's been like, let there be this, uh, let there be that, uh, stars, sweet, galaxies, universes, all out there. And then something happens. Look at Genesis chapter two. It says, yet the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Did you catch that? He's been talking and creating, but that's not our backstory. He didn't say, let there be man. He got his hands into the dirt and he formed. Do you know you were created by touch, by God's touch? The first thing in all of creation that God touched, human. 
How cool is that picture? Our backstory is connected to touch, is connected to relationship, right? And then what does he do? Verse 8. So now the Lord God had planted a garden out in the east. He had created, he spoke that into the east, in Eden. And it says there he put the man he had formed. So he forms him and then he goes, I got a spot for you. And he takes him and he plants him in the garden. And then for the next several verses, he gives him some instructions. He's like, there's a river over here. There's a river over here. There's a river over here. That's all your boundaries, your job, subdue the earth, take care of it. You have an assignment. Here's what I want you to do. Oh, that tree over there, that's not for you. Everything else is yours. And then he looks at what he's done and he goes, oh, something's missing. It's not done yet. He sees something's not good. And then he does something else. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then what does he do? He says, let there be woman. No. He puts the man asleep and then he reaches in with touch and he pulls out a piece of the man and he forms it into woman. And he puts them together and he goes, ah, now I've done something amazing. Your backstory involves touch and presence and community. It is the picture of God's creation for us. We were designed that way. No wonder why we feel so broken when we don't have it. We feel it in our core. Fast forward, depending on your view of history and scripture, at least 3,000 years, and Jesus is on the scene, and he knows he's about to go to the cross, and he knows that his disciples only have figured out about this much of what's going on. He's praying for them. And he prays forward in history to everyone who will believe because of what he's done. And he prays a specific thing. He goes, God, I pray that they would be one. That's a fascinating thing to pray. He goes, I pray they'd be one the way you and I are one. What is he praying for? He's praying for connection, for being equally invested and involved. He's praying for unity. Why would he pray for that? He could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed, I pray they don't screw up. This is really important. I pray they get it right. I pray they have good theology. Right? I pray that they, they, they have steady, consistent, foundational theology. I pray that they morally don't blow it. I pray they get it done quickly. He could have prayed anything, but you know what he prayed? He prayed we'd understand how we were designed to function that we'd be one because he knew if we got that piece right, we could do all of the things that he had said that we can do. Now, fast forward a little bit further and Paul is planting churches. They're popping up everywhere. These churches are sprouting up. Now these churches don't have the book of John yet. So they don't have all of the words of Jesus the way we have the words of Jesus. They're dependent on the spirit of God and whoever the apostle and the teacher is who's come, who's teaching them about this. And so Paul has to show them how this works. So these churches have popped up, but in this churches, there's some disarray over how do we do this new thing, this one thing? How do we do this thing where everybody's apart and everybody's included? Because in culture, it doesn't look that way. In culture, we've divided ourselves into little subsects and groups and we've compartmentalized our lives and then we come together in faith and you're telling us to be one. How is that supposed to look? So Paul articulates, and if you got your Bibles, I'm going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians for a little while, chapter 12. 
Paul says, let me show you how this is done because this is important and you're gonna need to get this right. Why do they need to get it right? Because it's in our origin story. It's part of who we were designed to be because it's what Jesus modeled. Not only is it what Jesus modeled, it's literally the last consistent thing we know he prayed for for us. So Paul's like, don't mess this up. Here's how you actually do it. So 1 Corinthians 12, I'm in verse 12 and I'll just walk through some of this and we'll see how far the Lord lets me get. Chapter 12, verse 12, Paul's like, hey, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. Now he's about to express that there is a metaphor here of the way the human body works in the natural and the way the body of Christ, the church works in the supernatural, come on now and beyond. He's like, there's some tension here I want you to understand. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts and though all the parts are many, they form one body. Most of us can understand that. 2,000 years ago, they could get that. I have a lot of parts, but they're all my body. They're all one thing. He says, so it is with Christ. And look at, look at this, this is amazing. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And then he breaks down the socioeconomic and, and, and ethnic and, and all the division pieces. He goes, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you're slave, whether you were free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. He says, we're a single unit. And your background doesn't matter. Your faith background doesn't matter. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your financial position doesn't matter. Your resource pool doesn't matter. In terms of the body, we are all connected and we all receive the same spirit. We're part of one body. Lots of parts. One body. Verse 14. <laughs> now he's going to have a little fun. For the next several verses, he's going to give some like illustrations. And I love the way Paul just thinks in this because it's, it's so obvious, but if he doesn't say it, then you have a cop-out. So he's eliminating cop-outs. And he says, now the body is made up of one, is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. You got to say it like in your ear voice. Because I'm not a hand, uh, 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 I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul goes right after the comparison, folks. Well, I don't preach. That guy with the microphone, that's his job. He does the church stuff. I just show up, put a quarter in him, and say, dance for me. <laughs> right? He's like, I don't, you don't get to say that. Well, I don't, I don't speak well, so what do you want from me? You don't get to say, well, you know, the people who need to show up early and do things, the, the, they all have a gift of singing. The singers get to do that part. And I don't sing, so I don't have anything to bring. He says, no, 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 no. Don't get into a comparison game. Don't start from this idea of, well, that person does this and I don't do that, so there's nothing I bring to the table. He goes, that's not how you do this. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, that's powerful. Where's my comparison, folks, at? Did you know it says that he's arranged the parts in the body 
just as he wanted them to be? This is hard for me. Because if I had a dollar for every time I just told the Lord, you know what would make my life so much easier? It'd be cool if I was taller and had all my hair, but that wouldn't make my life easier. <laughs> what would make my life easier is if I could sing. If I could sing. Do you know all these years of youth ministry, all these other years of doing other ministry stuff, do you know how hard it is to deal with emotional musicians? <laughs> Come on, musicians, you know. <laughs> do you know how hard it is to do that part and you can't speak their language? You can't just walk up there and say, just do this. My life would be so much easier if I could just sing. And I had all these conversations with the Lord. I'm like, seriously, God, of all the gifts you could have just added into the bag when you're making this, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But my life, like, like how come Jake got that part and I didn't get that part? That ain't fair. And he got all his hair. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. <laughs> come on. And Paul's saying, we don't get to start from that place. We don't get to lean in and say, well, I don't got this, so I can't do anything that matters. He's like, that's not how we do this. You don't look at the other parts of the body and go, well, if I had, you know, if I had Jake's voice, then sure, I'd, I'd be faithful. If I could play guitar like Chris, or if I had the technical skills of our jokers in the back and, their <laughs> and all their extra extracurriculars to make everything look amazing, right? If I had all those skills, come on, then I'd help, but I don't have that, so I can't do anything. Yet here's Paul saying that God arranged every part just as he wanted them to be. And I think sometimes we look at our lives and we look at what we are and what we bring and what we do and we think, oh, well, God can't use this piece. Paul's like, that's not how it works. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then he goes back into his analogy. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. See, before it was, I'm, I'm mad because I'm not that. Now he's saying, you can't say to the other piece, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts, this is beautiful, of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat those with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts, they don't need any special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no, listen to this, no division in the body. But that its part should have equal concern for each other. Verse 26, this is the truth. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Verse 27, now you know you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are designed to be a functioning part of the body of Christ. Now, let me tell you something that you know is true. When a part of your body stops functioning, it is an emergency. It is a catastrophe. You go to the hospital. You go to a doctor. When your body stops working, you respond Yet we're one body and we look at parts of the body that aren't functioning and aren't working and we don't feel any of the fear or anxiety or stress of that. We just go, ah, oh, you know, they're probably just, you know, figuring things out. But if it were our body, it would be a big deal. Now listen, any of you ever like slept on your arm and it fell asleep funny? It's fuzzy, right? It's kind of fun. You wake up and you're just like, 
swinging it around, waiting for it to wake up and it's fuzzy and you run into the wall and you bang it into furniture until it kind of wakes up. Maybe I'm the only one that does that, right? It's just kind of part of waking up. And when it first happens, it's kind of funny. But if it stays that way, I have a major problem on my hands. Same, same in the church. You look around and you're like, oh, that part's kind of asleep, whatever, just kind of banging around into the, into the walls. It's not really doing anything right now. And it's just kind of funny. But after a little bit of time, it's like, dude, why isn't that part of the body come back awake, come back alive, started doing the thing it was designed to do? It's funny for a minute, but if it happens for the rest of your life, not only is it annoying, it's potentially dangerous. It's potentially dangerous. Can you imagine if different parts of your body just randomly shut down because they were just tired of working? You're driving along and your eyes are like, no, not today. It's dangerous, but in the church, that happens all the time. In the body of Christ, that happens all the time. I'm just tired of being, you know, I've, I've been an elbow for a while, but I'm just tired. I'm just shutting down. And the body's like, whoa, what happened there? We were cruising along, and you were being what you are and doing what you're designed to do, and then you just stopped with no warning. Here's the thing you have to catch. We need each other. We need each other to accomplish what the church was designed to do. Can I just be honest with you? <laughs> we think we can do whatever we want. I'm talking to church folks right now. If you're just visiting, you're off the hook on this. Church folks, we think we can do whatever we want. Yet I, you're like, Pastor Mike, all these rules. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just taking you to the text of how we were designed to function. And we think when we do whatever we want, there's no real ripple offense consequences to everyone else. It's my life. It's not your life. You're part of the body, and we need you. You know, I grew up, I talk about it from time to time, I grew up with an addict, and I know what it's like when someone just decides, it's only hurting myself and everybody else's, stay off me and I'll just do what I want. And I know that that's a lie, because I know what it's like to live in terror, to be afraid, to be sad, to be embarrassed. I know all of that. You don't think there's an effect on the rest of your family, on the rest of your body, when you just go and do whatever you want to do? You don't think that, that's, that we're connected? You don't think we're connected in here? When you're just like, ah, I'll just go do whatever I want for a while and just, ah. We're connected. It's the same thing in this body. The splash zone is, is, is huge. Think about when we dedicate a baby. We bring babies up here all the time because it's awesome. And we say, hey, congregation, will you commit to be part of the body, to live in such a way that they see the body of Christ working and they fall in love with their position in the body. Everyone goes, yeah, it's awesome. And they make that commitment without even thinking about it. Can I just be honest with you? I've had conversations with people who have said, yeah, I don't really want to dedicate my, my baby because I'm not sure the people that are making that commitment, I want them making that commitment to do that for my kids. Ouch! You don't think there's a splash zone when we don't connect and do the things, when we think, well, it doesn't matter, we just do whatever we want? All right. You keep thinking that. It's funny when... Uh, 
when a ligament goes or gets damaged, how many things get affected. I was a sophomore year of Bible college. <clears throat> I was playing basketball because I was skinnier. In all my memories, I have superpowers, so I was really good. <laughs> and uh, we were coming up on one year of uh, marriage. No, it was my junior year. We are coming up on one year of marriage. And I had all these big plans, you know, what we were going to do for our first anniversary. I had booked stuff. It was going to be awesome. But I had a game the weekend before, and we're playing. And we're playing against Reed Bible College. No, I'm sorry. Reed is not a Bible college. We're playing against Reed, the liberal arts college. And we're a little tiny Eugene Bible College. And this particular liberal arts college is as liberal as a liberal arts college could be. They literally loved us coming because they could just mock and, and do horrific things while we were there. And uh, so we would show up and they would have all these chants and they would be chanting, you know, very vulgar things. And they would be chanting, you know, six, six, six every time that we came out. I mean, just like, it's just the kind of things that when you're in college and you're a knucklehead and you're trying to be rude and funny, you would do. And so as, you know, as the Bible college, we always thought, you know, oh, here's our moment to go be like Jesus in this area. But then we get out on the court and it's one thing to be like Jesus to the people who are in the stands who are being idiots, excuse me, who are being rude. Um, <laughs> it's another thing when someone's hot breath is in my face and I'm dribbling and they're saying vulgar things and just trying to be that and all of a sudden I shift and uh, I'm throwing my hips in, my, my shoulder into them and we're backing up, right? And now I wanna win because, you know, Jesus always wins. <laughs> so, so we're getting to the end of the game and I have the ball and, uh, you know, I come, I come around the screen and I'm open and uh, I'm moving to the, to, the, to the lane. I'm gonna shoot a layup. I'm flying through the air for an extended period of time because I'm superpowers in my memories. And out of nowhere, this guy runs and just takes my legs out. And as I'm coming down, I try to catch myself and I try to plant my foot, but he's fallen underneath me and I put my foot onto his leg and I hear in my ankle just pop, 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 like machine gun fire. Some of you had a big, a big thing like that. So... You know, I'm trying to be a man because I can't show weakness to this crowd. But like a single tear is coming through my eyes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, my foot's just like laying there. And it's not going to work right. And everything's a problem. So I end up in the hospital. And, you know, they got to cast me all the way up to my knee. But something happened. Because of this ligament that, that burst because of that, I was in a, not a lot of pain. But I became suddenly incredibly dependent on this other part of my body. Everything over here was casted. Now, let me tell you something. I don't even, I, I wasn't even fully aware. I mean, I had sprained ankles before, but I had never connected that to like ligaments. And I didn't know like the names of any ligaments or anything. I didn't know how big a ligament is. I didn't know anything about a ligament until it was hurt. And suddenly that ligament was incredibly important. Unseen things, little parts doing what they're designed to do so that the body could move forward and do what it's designed to do. And when that piece wasn't doing what it was designed to do, chaos in my body, pain. Now, let me give you another picture here because this is, it's, I want you to catch this. I can't use this foot, this leg can't put weight on it. And so I'm walking and I'm like this. And you know what ends up happening? This part of my body, doing what it's supposed to do, doing what it's designed to do, 
faithfully working away is carrying too much weight because this part of my body has a ligament that won't do what it's supposed to do. And when that ligament won't do what it's supposed to do, this part of the body's carrying too much weight. And pretty soon something on this part of my body, even though it has good intentions, even though it's trying to do what it's designed to do, eventually the weight of that is too much and I have an injury now on this side. Same thing happens in the body of Christ. Can I just be real with you guys for a moment? We have people in this church, not just in the capital C church in America, people in this church who are doing too much because they're carrying somebody else's weight. They're doing what they're designed to do, but it's too much weight. Why is it too much weight? Because this ligament doesn't think their part's that important and doesn't see how it's connected to the whole. And it's creating too much tension, too much drag, too much weight. And for a while we can work, but we're working at about one third the speed we could have been going if this piece was going too. And the weight and the pressure on the piece that's doing what it's supposed to be doing right now is too much. And as part of the body, we should care about that. We should care about that. We should feel that pressure. (laughs) You know, some of us think, well, you don't understand the piece I do is not that important. It's not that big a deal what I do. I mean, all I really, you know, I mean, I I hold babies every once in a while. Listen, I don't want to hold your babies. (laughs) Like for the dedication, that's cool. Then that's it. Like, I don't want to be back in that room holding babies. I don't have that gift. That's not my thing. I'm done wiping bottoms. Like, Lord willing... I will never have a season of wiping bottoms again. The next time that there's a partner in wiping bottoms, it's my bottom that's getting wiped by somebody else. Like I'm done with that season until way on the other end. You're welcome for that visual. (laughs) I'm done, right? But there's some of you, (laughs) there's some of you in here you're just like, you know what I would love to do? I just wipe the little bottom and slap a little diaper on there. I'm just, and I'm just awesome. And you think that's not important? When I was 17, I got roped into working in the toddler area one day. And I was a guy, you know, I loved the Lord. And I was like, all right, I'll help. I'll do whatever. You know, you need my help. I'll get back there. And I went back there. And I got to tell you, I was like, how do people not just shake these kids into submission or tap them out? Like, I'm, I was dangerous, right? There was, it was not healthy. I left. I was like, don't ever ask me to do that again. Not because I'm not willing to serve, but because I'm dangerous. I don't have the peace. Now, I'm, now I was 17, all right? So it was a little while ago. I've, I've leveled off and had some kids since then. But you don't want me in that environment. That's not my strength. I'm not good there. Some of you, if you came up here and did this environment, it wouldn't be good. It's not your skill set. But you can open an umbrella and walk a mom into from the parking lot. You're like, oh, that's not that important. I might show up, I might not, or whatever. But you don't know. Come on now. You don't know the difference you might have made in that mom's life. Can you imagine? Let me just tell you a story about a mom parking in the parking lot and the chaos it took for her to get to this moment and the ripple effects of tension and what she's carrying. And you walked over with an umbrella, popped it open so she wouldn't be in the rain. It only kind of worked, but the effort that you put into that, just it just changed the trajectory of her day. And she got into this place with just this much more hope than she had in the parking lot. And God was able to meet her. Why? I was just opening an umbrella. I was just shaking a hand, making a cup of coffee, playing a song, changing a slide on a computer, signing a kid in to their classroom. I was just doing a little tour so the parents knew where the bathrooms were when they walked in the door. 
I've seen brand new people walking into the, into the church, not able to find the restroom because you walk in this side, it's not immediately apparent where to go and just watch terror in their eyes. I don't know anyone to ask where the bathroom is and just, you know, just walking someone to, hey, there's where the restroom is. All of a sudden, the flood of relief, they get their kid in there in time. You're like, oh, that's not that important what I do. I watched, I watched a gal. And all she, she was just a big, just a sweet gal, and she would, she would, what is this? Not knit, crochet. She would just crochet things. She'd just crochet little kind things, and she'd give them to, she'd give them to teenagers of all people. And pretty soon, she was surrounded by teenagers who were like, teach me to crochet. And all these big, tough teenagers are sitting there trying to do, and they're just giving them out. I mean, I just, she's just using the little gift that she had. Changing lives. I watched them give them to babies that were like moms having babies in the hospital and they get little free hats. and it's just, They're just doing stuff. Listen, I have seen the power of someone writing a card or sending some flowers or shooting a text message or writing a tweet to somebody, whatever it is. I don't know what, 130 characters of something. And you're just, just shooting a message to someone and radically changing the trajectory of their day and their, potentially their life. You're like, oh, I don't think I do. This doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, I'm just the foot. I'm not the head. I don't sing or play guitar or preach. It's not my job. I've watched, let me just be real with you. I've watched small groups where the, the people in the small group are not convinced this is a good idea. Like it's necessary. But I leaned into them or somebody leaned into them. They're like, fine, we'll do the small group. And they're getting together and they're doing life together. I'm like, that's cool, whatever, but it's not that big a deal. And then a crisis happens. And suddenly that circle of relationship becomes important on a level that no one could have anticipated. A child gets sick. A job gets lost. And they're looking around and their world's spinning out of control. And the anchor pieces to their life are just people who said, yeah, I'll open my house on a Tuesday night at seven for an hour. We can hang out. Well, I don't think it's that important. Listen, can I just tell you something? Just be real for a second here. I don't make any more or less money if you get in a small group. I'm not incentivized in the kingdom. I don't get extra treasure in heaven. I don't have, there's no advantage to my life for you to live in community and do what the Bible says versus not, okay? So when I tell you it is critical that you are connected to people, it's because I believe that it is critical that you are connected to people, who can bring support, who can live like Jesus. You can struggle together. You can do life together. I believe it's critical. This last weekend, this weekend, yesterday, holy moly, daylight savings, throw me off. Yesterday morning, I'm in a meeting. It's at another church, and there's about 20 churches represented. And a bunch of schools from the South Hill are there. Principals, counselors, elementary school teachers, and they're just talking about how the church can help them in their elementary school. And they're telling stories about ways. I got to tell you something. You know, we get afraid of church and state and all this stuff, and we can't help and do things. There's a woman. She's a teacher. She gets up. She immediately starts crying. And she tells a story. This church, to her school, they sent someone over and just collected all the business cards of all the teachers. Then they brought them to church. 
and passed them out and said, everybody take a business card. If you want to take one, take one. And they did. You know how we do secret sisters with, with, our, with our women sometimes? We just bless each other randomly. They just adopted a staff person that they didn't know at the school and just committed to pray for that person and just do kind things for them randomly throughout the year. And this woman, this teacher, is in the front of this group of like 20 churches that are all kind of represented here. And she is emotionally breaking down at when she says, when I walk into the break room and someone has a little Starbucks gift card, and a little card that says, we, we love you, we're thinking about your praying, and they're weeping because their day has just been what it is to walk through the life of a teacher and, and the impact. And you think little things that we do don't matter? Oh, I'm just a card writer. I just, you know, $20 a year in Starbucks gift cards I send. That's what I do. You think that doesn't have impact? In the kingdom of God, you think that doesn't make a difference? I'm sitting there talking to this guys, these guys, and they're telling me 50, 60, 70% of their students living below the poverty line don't have coats in the wintertime, don't have changes of clothes. They have kids that, that, that come in, and the only other pair of clothes they have, they're holding them so they can change, so they can take them home and wash them for them so that they'll come back to school so that they can have clean clothes when they get back. These are our schools just right around here. Story, I'm telling you. You think, oh, I don't know what I can do that matters. I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to give you a picture. So people look at us and they look at the church and they look around and they go, why is it disconnected? Why isn't it operating like a body? Why isn't it activated and doing the things that we're designed to do? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 Solomon paints this picture for us. The wisest man that ever lives. He says, hey, two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one, listen to this, may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Can I just point something out? The enemy's strategy for taking you out is to get you isolated and alone because you're designed to thrive and function in relationship. You want a clear sign that you're under attack? You're all alone. If you look around and you're all alone, the attack is on. This is a very simple principle. Look at scripture. God over and over again wants us to catch this. Hey, you're sheep. That means no offensive, no defensive weapons. I'm your shepherd. I keep you protected. You stay connected in the body and I got you. But your enemy is like a wolf and he's roving around seeing whom he can devour, who is isolated from the pack, who is moved outside of the body and the protection and the provision that's provided. You want an indicator that you're in danger? Disconnect from the pack, from the herd, from the body. Every time, every time you have a conversation with someone, life's out of control. It, they can go back to when they started getting isolated. They started disconnecting. They, they moved out from their accountability. They moved out from their protection. They moved out from whatever it is. Boom, here comes the attack. There's power when we do what God designed us to do. We stay connected. Dismembered, disconnected, dismembered. Disconnected body parts, they're gross and they're vulnerable and it's dangerous. Now, can I have a, 
Can I have a just church people talk again? I know I had a lot of church people talk today, but we're, we're just covering this because this is a value. This is why the church exists, right? And I know that some of you are in here and you, you have maybe done this in the past, but you're cool now, so don't worry about it. We're all cool. We're here, right? We're doing this. But there's a thing that we do in church world and we bounce around from place to place to place to place to place without connecting. Now, listen, you have to be where you've heard from the Lord and obey. And God may not call you to one place your whole life. You may have to move and do those things. That's fine. I'm good with that. Do that. But we bounce around and we're not connecting. And we have this kind of shield of, oh, you know, well, we're kind of, we're doing church things, but we're not connecting to a body. And I have to tell you, you are incredibly vulnerable in those moments. Why? Because you're not connected to a body. You're just out there on your own and no one knows if you're okay or not. Let me say something else because this just happens and I'm gonna kill this issue, right? If you don't show up, someone should know and care when you don't show up and they should text you or call you and check on you and you should not get offended by that. Oh, you're checking up on me. Yes, we check up on our body, on our family when it's not there and it's not working. Right? If there was a family gathering and you were invited and you didn't show up and someone, your mom called and said, hey, are you okay? You wouldn't be like, mom, why do you call every time I don't show up? Right? You might knock it off. She's your mother. Respect her. Don't do that. Because someone cares when you're not there. That's what a healthy body and a healthy family does. So that's important. And if you're not connected and in relationship, if you're not in a small group, you're not integrated and no one notices, that's not healthy. We should be connected. You should feel the pressure that someone cares. That's good. That's good. That's healthy. That's helpful. Okay, I'll get off of that because some of you are just like, stop it. Feeling too much pressure now. Let me give you, I'm gonna wrap it up because we're running out of time. I'm gonna fast forward. Let me just give you the benefits of living united because this is what God's called us to do. And if we do this right and we do this part right, I think we might see some incredible transformation in us, in our community. We may have some impact that we never even imagined. There's some benefits to living united. The first one is this. We get shared responsibility. Shared responsibility. (laughs) We recognize our part matters and we can lean on the strength of each other. I need your strength. You need my strength. We need each other's strength. We're designed to work together to accomplish that. I can't do all of the things. I'm not a everything. You can't do all of the things, but together we can share the responsibility. And then the load gets lighter. Listen, there are people who I talk to regularly. So so if you're in this room and I've talked to you about this, you're not the only one. I'm not calling you out. We're cool. But there are people I talk to regularly who say, I would help with this, but I know if I help, you'll ask me to do it every week for the rest of my life until I die. So I can't do that right now because I don't have every week for the rest of my life until I die. Come on, you know that's true. Because we don't share responsibility because we're not acting like a body. But if we shared the responsibility, that fear would go away. That pressure point would go away. Can I tell you something? I don't want to preach every week. I said it out loud in the microphone. (laughs) Right? I love doing what I'm designed to do. I love sitting there and listening to someone preach every once in a while too. I love walking around and making sure everything's okay and being that guy. I love being in the parking lot, waving at you guys as you come in. 
Other people have gifts and need to do their part. We gotta share the responsibility. Jake doesn't wanna play guitar every week. Come on now, share the responsibility. Here's the second thing that happens. We share the resolve. We share the resolve. What do you mean by that? Well, if I had time, I'd take you into Daniel chapter one. But the simple principle of Daniel chapter one that I wanted to pull out for you is this. Daniel was tempted. He was in captivity, and then suddenly he had an offer that no one could possibly refuse. He got offered to eat at the king's table, although it was food that had been dedicated in a way that it wasn't against his values to, to, uh, uh, to take that. It was a incredibly potentially awesome thing to get. But he resolved that he wouldn't defile his body. He resisted temptation. And then the, the scripture, the story tells us his three buddies came alongside him and they all resolved together that they would resist the temptation. You ever see an accountability group really work? When we all make a decision, hey, we're gonna resist that temptation and we're gonna have honest conversation. We're gonna avoid that thing that's devastating, destructive to our lives. You ever see community and body happen and function that way? When we get shared resolve, we're stronger. We're empowered. Our life is healthier. We have success that we otherwise couldn't have because we have shared resolve. Shared resolve is powerful. The last thing we have is a cool picture and Paul says it, we have shared reward. The body wins. When you win, I win. When I win, you win. I hear stories all the time. You know what's cool? One of my favorite things as a pastor. I hear stories from people and they tell me, pastor, our small group went and we did this and we served and we, we gave, did a meal and we did food and we did this thing. And I'm like, I didn't know any of that was happening. Yes, that's my win. Just like that's your win because we're connected and we're a body. I win when you win, you win when I win. We all win. We get to share the reward. When we get up here and I get to dunk someone and it's baptism and they're taking their faith public. All of us won. The kingdom grew. We share the reward. And let me just say one last thing. I'm running out of time. I want to respect your time. One last thing. When Jesus comes back for his bride, the picture that we have as the bride of Christ, and when he comes back for his bride, <laughs> this is a funny way to say it. He's not polygamous. He's not coming back for a sea of brides. He's coming back for a bride, the church. When we do our part, we are our part of the greater body. When we function the way we're designed, we do our part and we share in the reward. So here's something I want you to catch because sometimes as a pastor, I say things and then I go back and I'm like, I meant it and I think it's true. I hope it's true, but I was excited and it might've came off like a little grandiose and I just wanna calculate and be honest with you, okay? Sometimes I say things like, we can change the world. You can change the world and I believe it, but I don't know how much change you can actually affect. You personally can actually affect, but here's what I do know. When every ligament in the body is doing the part that it's designed to do, then as a body, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we change the world. That's epic. That's huge. And we're all a part of that and we all share. That's amazing. It is awesome when you do what you do. So do it. We need you. This body needs you, the church and the kingdom of God needs you. Too many parts are carrying too much weight. And some of you have been back here in the dead weight space for a little while. And the Lord would just say, hey, you were designed, you're beautifully and wonderfully made. Do the part you do, just do it.
Would you stand with me? If we got this piece right, if we dialed into this, the amount of impact we could have would be incredible. We talked about this at the membership meeting, but one of the primary things that we, that we see through our evaluations, through our conversations, is that, come on, church, it's time for us to start. We got something going here. God's faithful. We're showing up. Things are happening. And it's time to start increasing our impact and making a difference. It's time these neighborhoods knew we were here. It's time this school district right here knew that we were here. It's time, come on now, that, that park, am I pointing the right way? That park knew that we were here. Come on. It's time that we begin to make that kind of impact. And we do that not by one person person just being like, you know, hey, Pastor Mike's just going to walk down the street and we're going to get a megaphone. He's just going to yell at these houses and people are going to come flooding out. It's not how it works. It happens when every part in the body just does the part it was designed to do. The resource is here. And then all of a sudden, transformation happens, change happens, and heaven, come on now, gets bigger and comes nearer. And it's awesome. So let's pray. God, I just want that. I want to be the kind of church that you designed, that's integrated, that's whole. I want to recognize that the part I do, whether it's visible or not visible, whether it looks honorable or it doesn't look particularly honorable, behind the scenes or whatever, whether I'm cleaning toilets, leading a small group, shaking a hand, making a cup of coffee. I just want to do whatever you assign me. And I know my assignment might change from time to time, and I'm never going to look at my assignment right now as dishonorable because you've assigned me right, the scripture says, right where you want me. So I want to hear your voice. I want to do that part so that I can see this beautiful bride that you've designed do what it can do. The church is the hope of the world, and I want to be a part of that. So would you move in us, through us, to do that? That I'd sign up for. That you could put me on a list for. Come on. <laughs> you could put my name down, and I'll, I'll go public with that. That's what I want to be a part of. So we say just yes. We love you. We want to partner with you. And what could you do if we did? How cool would that be? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.